0: Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good, good, good. Good to see y'all. Before we jump into Philippians, we're in this series called Partners in the Gospel, really looking at how thankful the Apostle Paul was for the Philippian church and their partnership in the Gospel. And that's what God calls us to be as well, partners in the Gospel, much like the heart and soul um, aspect that we uh, talked about, Austin talked about just a minute ago, that we are heart and soul Um, surrounding Jesus, surrounding his mission, um, supporting each other. And so um, before we jump really into that real heavy, I want to take just a second and say thank you. Uh, A lot of you know that my father-in-law passed away a couple of Thursdays ago. Um, He was like a second dad to me, uh, just a special, special man. Um, And I want to say thank you on behalf of our family for all of the support you guys gave the love, the prayers, all of that, that was so incredible, so amazing. Um, If you've ever lost someone who's really close to you, and I'm sure most of you have, it's a void that uh, never will be filled again. Um, But it's like I, I told our family, it'll never be the same, but it will be good again. And it'll be a different kind of good. But you guys were instrumental in helping us through the last couple of weeks, and I so appreciate your prayers for that. Please continue to pray for us as well, as I know many of you do anyway, because you know how messed up I am, so you pray really hard for me, and I appreciate that, guys. I need it a lot. Um, So thank you for that. Uh, As we get into the book of Philippians, I do want to set it up just a little bit to give you some background. So the church in Philippi, you can go read about when it was started in Acts chapter 16. Paul actually ends up in Philippi because of a vision he has one night Of a man calling him and saying, come over into Macedonia, which is the area Philippi was located. And so he gets up in the middle of the night and he goes and proclaims the gospel um, in this city in Philippi uh, and people begin to get saved and come to faith in Jesus and this church begins there. And so Paul is going and proclaiming this. Now, Paul is one of the the apostles that we talk about. He um, has this special authority because of how he came to know Christ and Jesus establishing him and gives him authority to write Scripture. So we read a lot of the letters that are in the Bible. A lot of those were written by the Apostle Paul. The interesting thing about Paul is that before he began to be called Paul, he was called Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, who went around persecuting Christians. And he was really persecuting, trying to destroy the church of Christ. But Jesus appears to him as he's going to a city called Damascus one day to persecute Christians, try to destroy the church. Jesus appears to him on this road to Damascus. And Paul has an encounter with Christ that changed his life forever. Um, He lost his physical sight for a period of time. But he gained a spiritual sight, an insight as to who Jesus is. And it changed his life. And because of that, we're able to hold these letters that Paul wrote in our hands. We're able to learn from Paul, understand what the gospel is because of Paul. And so when we talk about Paul, this is the man we're talking about. Someone who spent his life um, defending, preserving, protecting the gospel despite beatings, despite imprisonments. In fact, the letter we're reading today uh, out of Philippians, look, he was writing this while he was chained to a Roman soldier and under house arrest. And so he's writing this while he is literally chained in prison. And so this is the Paul we're talking about. I think it's important for us to understand that. And so if we look then at Philippians chapter 1, We're going to read verses 12 through 26, picking up where Jordan left off last week. He did an incredible job with verses 3 through 11. Now we're going to read verses 12 through 26. I want to encourage you that as we read this, try to pick out the theme in these verses. There's something that Paul is really proclaiming. There's something he's excited about that's taking place, even in the midst of being in prison. So let's read this understand, try to pick out the theme that goes forward here. So verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill the latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains but what does it matter the important thing is that in every way whether from false motives or true For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray. We'll jump in. Father, I thank you for your word, its truth, its power. I pray today, Lord, that God, we would begin to see differently. That our minds would not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but they would be transformed as they're renewed through your word, that any inaccurate way of thinking would be pulled down through the power of your truth and that we would begin to see more clearly, to see the way, God, that you see, to see the world, ourselves, others, to see you, to see our purpose the way you designed it to be, Lord. We thank you for that. I thank you for each person here, each person who will hear my voice, Lord. I pray that they would hear your spirit speaking to their heart. I pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate deeply into each one of us and make anything that's out of line line up with your truth. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this uh, week I had to do something that uh, I, I really kind of thought I might not ever have to do. Some of you have already had to do this. Um, and. and that is, I had to order some reading glasses. That's, I know, that's bad, right? I had to order some reading glasses. How many of you have reading glasses? Yeah, you're old too. And so, um, I, I, I text my buddy who uh, is an eye doctor. He told me what to get, so they're coming in today or tomorrow. I've got these glasses. They don't really do anything much. They help a little bit. But i got some more coming that are stronger. Uh, and, and, you know, as you age, your, your sight changes. Uh, for most people, your sight begins to change around 40 45 years old, 50 years old, typically what happens is some of the muscles in your eyes begin to weaken, and that's why you read the menu like this, right? Because you can't see it. The, the little stuff gets really hard to see, and, and so you have to uh, begin to, to either get reading glasses or have somebody hold it up across the room from you. Um, it's easier just to get reading glasses. Um, so I've got those coming, and, and so because my sight is changing, here's the thing that I think is really important for us to understand as Christians and what needs to happen for us on a continual basis is our sight needs to change. The way we see things need to change. It's what Paul said in Romans 12 when he said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our mind. How we see, how we think, it needs to constantly be changing. And and when we look at this passage in Philippians, I really want us to see how Paul saw, right? If we can see how Paul saw um, back when he was writing this, I think it can have an incredible impact on our life. It can set us free. It it can help us fulfill our purpose. It it can uh, alleviate us from a lot of anxiety and worry in life. And it can give us the courage and boldness to do what God has created us to do, to share the gospel, to live that out, to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory, to find true fulfillment in why we are here. But there's a problem that gets in our way with this, and that is that the the life God calls us to live, and even enjoy, is choked out by the cares and concerns of the world. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable about... um, Seed that's sown on different types of soil. And one of the soils that doesn't produce fruit is soil that is, the the, the seed as it begins to grow is choked out by the the deceitfulness of wealth, the concerns of life. And so many times, and you know this, even as you sit here right now, you know this, that the concerns of life oftentimes choke out the life of God in us, leaving us really in a lot of ways unfruitful for the kingdom. But if we can begin to see more, as Paul describes uh, seeing in, chapters, in verses 12 through 26 in Philippians, it can set us free from that. See, Paul had this incredible worldview. Oftentimes in our lives, what we do is we fight harder for things that won't last than we do for things that are eternal. And see, Paul had this completely different worldview. Paul saw this completely different. Paul realized this, that we are here to fight, to redeem the world until the end, but this world is not the end for believers. He understood this. He understood our purpose is to fight to see the world redeemed, to fight to see the world reconciled through Jesus, to fight with everything in us, to carry the gospel forward, but he also understood this, look, when this life is over, there's something even better for me. He wasn't so wrapped up in the world that he couldn't do the things that God called him to do. He wasn't so wrapped up in the world that the concerns of the world choked the life out of him. And I want us to really be able to see this today. We are here to fight and redeem the world fight until the end a fight of faith to run the race but we have to understand this that no matter what the circumstances no matter who's against us not even in the face of death itself should should we shrink back because none of those can rob from us what Jesus has already given us when you look at verses 12 through 14 Look at what he's saying. He's saying, I am currently in chains. I'm currently in prison. He says, but I want you to understand this. He says, now I want you to know. It's almost like he's trying to, through a pen, grab the Philippian believers by the ears and say, look in my eyes and hear what I'm saying. He said, now I want you to know what's happened to me. These chains have actually served our purpose. They've actually served to advance the gospel. He's saying the entire palace guard, all of these soldiers, that they're hearing the gospel, it's actually serving to advance the gospel. He says, see, what they think is that they've got me bound, right? But really, I've got them bound to me, so they have to listen to me preach the whole time that they're chained to me. He sees it completely different, right? He sees it completely different. He's saying the gospel's going forward even in my circumstances that are not great. The gospel is going forward and that's something to celebrate. Look at verses 15 through 18. He says it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. He says they preach this out of selfish ambition. He says they preach this to try to stir up trouble for him while he's in chains. And he says, but what does it matter? What really matters is that the gospel is being preached, whether from good motives or bad motives. See, we're always going to have circumstances that come against us. The circumstances in our life are not always going to be perfect. We're always going to have people who come against us. The reality is that people are going to hurt us. People are going to betray us. People are going to break our trust. People are going to cause us pain. We're always going to face those things. And then he goes on and even lists one more, which is death. He says, I'm going to rejoice. He says, look, if I die, look, it's the greatest gain. I get to go be with Christ. He says, if I remain, it's going to be fruitful labor. And he says, what will I choose? And it's kind of crazy because it's like Paul's like, I could die, I could live. It's almost like, should I go to the movies? Should I go play golf? What should I do? You know, he's like, well, I think I'll live. And he says, the reason that I know I'll live is because of you. He says, I would rather go and be with Jesus. I'd rather die and go be with Christ right now. He says, but it's better for you if I remain. And why is that? He says, it's better for you if I remain so that you're boasting in Christ Jesus will abound. It's all about the gospel going forward. Paul saw it differently. In the midst of circumstances that were not good, in the midst of people coming against him and causing him more trouble, in the midst of facing death, he could say, The most important thing, he even says that there, the most important thing is that the gospel goes forward. (laughs) That's pitiful. So, the circumstances, the people, death. Listen, all these things call grief, cause grief, right? Circumstances, people, death, they all cause grief. Let's be honest, death sucks. Circumstances coming against us, grief. It, it's not fun. It's not good. But there's such a way of seeing and thinking and believing that says even in the midst of those the gospel can go forward. Even in the midst of those, the gospel can be preached. The gospel can be proclaimed. When my father-in-law passed away and they asked me to do the funeral, I I remember thinking this, and and we all knew this. The one thing that Bruce wanted more than anything was for the gospel to be preached. He was one of the most serving, uh, thoughtless, thought, did not think about himself much at all. The one thing he would want that to be about was the gospel being preached. And so I was preparing this, I was like, we're gonna preach the gospel. And in fact, he actually preached at his own funeral through a video of a message that he preached here uh, in June of 20. And the gospel was preached. And if you've ever lost someone who you were really close to, you know the pain of that. You know that grief can cause physical pain. It's amazing how that can happen. That grief can cause physical pain. And yet the gospel was proclaimed. I haven't checked it in a, a week or so. But just on Facebook, not counting YouTube, the website, all of that stuff, when I went and checked it last time, his funeral had been watched over 5,000 times on Facebook. The gospel was proclaimed to over 5,000 people through my father-in-law's death. Here's the thing that I would tell you. Does that make it easy? No. Does that help his his children? No. Does that help his wife? No, no, No. It doesn't take away the pain. But you keep fighting the fight of faith because you see the gospel keeps going forward. And that's what matters in the end. We keep fighting. We keep going. We keep pushing. And it's not easy at times. Circumstances surround us. But as we sang earlier, our God is greater. People come against us. But if he's for us, who can be against us, right? And the same Paul that wrote these words is the same one who said, where, O death, is your sting? Because death has been swallowed up in victory. And so you and I both, those who are in Christ, can take confidence in the circumstances, in the people we face, in the things that come against us, even in the face of death. And we can say that God has given us victory and we can continue to take the gospel forward into the world, even in hard times, even in hard times you can continue to run the race. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you even feel like doing it. It doesn't mean that that it's just always uh, rainbows and lollipops. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that sometimes you keep running the race with tears, running down your face, running down your cheeks. But whatever happens, you stand your ground because you know that in the end, the greatest victory that we'll ever experience has already been won and the best is always yet to come because we are in Christ. I want you to listen to this. This is something that I found to be true. I see it in scripture. I find it to be true. The more you love this world, the harder it will be to live in it. The more you love this world, the harder it will be to live in it. Now, that seems to be a contradiction with some scripture, though. How many of you would see that as a contradiction? There's a Bible verse, the most famous Bible verse in all of Christianity. And that Bible verse is what? Y'all are are better than 9 o'clock. They didn't even say anything. I was like, in church, just say John 3.16. If somebody asks the most part, it's always John 3.16. John 3.16. And what does John 3.16 say? So love the world. But I'm telling you right here that the more you love the world, the harder it will be to live in it. Well, who wrote John 3.16? John, yeah, good, good, good. We're we're awesome. We are doing so good right now. We are killing it. Our Bible literacy is through the roof. 1 John. Guess who wrote 1 John? John, yeah, good, good, good. Same John. Same John, as a matter of fact. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world... Or anything in the world. Now, did he have a change of heart? What happened? Why would he say God so loved the world and then turn around and tell us, look, don't love the world or anything in it? Because what you have to understand is John's not telling us to not love the world, to to reject it totally. He's not saying don't love people. He's not saying don't Try to spend your days redeeming the world through the gospel, this good news of Jesus and God's plan of reconciliation. That's not what he's saying. When he says don't love the world, he's saying don't love the world system. Don't don't fall into this trap of loving the world system, the things that the world offers. He goes on and says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And he's saying, look, don't fall in love with this world and what it offers you so much that you lose sight of where your true home is. See, we're strangers here if we're in Christ. This is not our final home. This is not our forever home. You know how people when they get older sometimes they'll build their forever home and this is my. For- this is not our forever home. And don't lose sight of that. We've got to see it differently. Do we love the world? Yes. Do we spend our lives trying to redeem it through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. But understand this, the more you see this world as your true home, the more elusive true peace will become. When we see this as it, peace is hard to find. When our peace is circumstantial, our peace is inconsistent because our circumstances are constantly changing. The more you see this world as your true home, the more elusive true peace will become. And the more you ignore God's purpose for you while you are here, the less satisfied you will be until you leave. How did Paul get to this stuff, right? And obviously he came to faith in Christ, but what changed? What changed in his thinking? What what shifted for him? I want to answer that in the next few minutes that we have together and, and, I want to ask you this. How many of you have your favorite movies that you like, right? Favorite movies. Favorite movie characters, maybe. The main characters that you like the most. Anybody? It's okay. Like, you can watch. If you watch movies, I'm not going to hate on you. I'm just, it's okay. I know you watch movies. All right? So, you got your favorite movies, right? Your favorite main characters. You're like, I can't raise my hand and say I watch movies in church. Yeah, but we do. All right? And so, so do I. I've got my favorite movies. I've got Uh, My favorite main characters, and I want to share some of those with you. See if these may be some of yours. So the first main character that I absolutely love is this one. Huh? Yes. I don't really know what happened to him after this movie, but in this movie, he was tough, right? And, and, And we love this. I love the courage, the boldness, like, ah, right? I don't even know how to describe it other than, ah, I love the name. If I renamed myself, it would probably be Maximus. I'd be Maximus Williams. Yes, Maximus Williams. And and that would be my I love this, right? One of my favorite characters uh, in a movie. Um, um, So many scenes I could talk, but we're not going to do that right now. The next one, how about this guy? Anybody want to yell it? No, everybody want to yell it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Freedom. Hey, here's something I didn't know until this morning. Um, I think this is correct because I got off the internet. But I did not realize that Gladiator, and what was the name of this movie again? Uh, Braveheart. I'm kidding. But Gladiator and Braveheart were both made in 2000. Did y'all know that? Same year. That was an anointed year. I did not realize that. But incredible that both of those movies came out. Maybe God was trying to tell us something. I don't know. have to go back and rewatch them. But I don't want you all to think that all of my main movies, my main characters, are shallow, like, you know, bloodthirsty killers, although that's cool. I don't want you to think that. So I want to show you some more of the classics to show you I do have a deeper side to me. So, so how about this one? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a classic. And you could argue and say, well, Chevy Chase was the main character. No, 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 no. You take this guy out of this movie, I don't even care to watch it anymore, right? Don't even care to watch it. How about this one? Yes. Talking about a classic. Man, Tommy likey, right? Tommy won't wingies. And so, another classic, one of my favorite characters. And then the last one. Oh, yeah. Good old Lloyd. Good old Lloyd. Dumb and dumber. It's warm. And so, anyway. Main characters of these movies. Incredible. You know, I like those movies. I I, I got a stupid sense of humor. But I, I like those movies and I like those characters. Here's a problem, though, that we have. Um, And and something that Paul had resolved. See, sometimes we think that we're the main main character in our story. We think we're the main character in our story. Paul had something figured out. And this is the first thing I think that Paul got straight that, that made him so effective and allowed him to see things the way he saw them, is that Paul knew he was not the main character of his story. He knew the main character of his story was Jesus, was God. And therefore, his greatest purpose in life was to fulfill the purpose that God had given him and created him for. And so he saw everything through this. The fact that I am not the main character of my story, God's the character, the main character of the story that he is writing. And understand this, God will write a much better story than you will. God will write a much better story than you will. And He is writing a much better story than we can. The best thing we can do is give God the pen and let Him direct it, right? Let Him write, look, He's gonna write it one way or another. The best thing for us to do is surrender to Him as the main character, as the one who calls the shots. Allow him to write his story, understanding that we're not the main character of the story. The second thing he knew was that he knew that the end of his life on earth was not the end of life. This is one of the things that causes us more anxiety, more fear, more sleepless nights. I know, it does me too. The thing we have to fight for and stand in faith in is knowing this that when this life is over, it's not over. Eternity, we think about, is something that will begin when we take our last breath. But Jesus says in John 17 that eternal life is to know the Father. And he says elsewhere that if you've seen me, you've seen, not me like Brandon, but Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And so eternal life for us doesn't begin when we take our last breath. Eternal life for us begins the moment we come to faith in Christ. The moment we declare him as our Lord and Savior. And the moment that he gives us his spirit and we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he realized that when this life is over, when this flesh fails and it will. That life doesn't end. Then, in fact, for Paul, as he says, to die is gain because the best life begins. See, here's the thing. The gospel had given Paul a new way of seeing. The gospel gave Paul a new way of seeing. He was no longer bound to this low uh, view of life. This low uh, view of, of the world, of God, of himself, uh, of other people, of his purpose. God had raised his eyes to something so much greater and he could see it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, this plan of reconciliation that God had laid out before the foundation of the earth had ever been laid. The gospel had given him a new way of seeing. But before we leave, here's the thing I want us to do. I want us to have an understanding of The gospel that was so important. Why was it so important that this gospel went forward? So look at Luke chapter 5. This is where I found myself as I was praying through this. Luke chapter 5. Beginning in verse 12. We'll wait till I quit hearing y'all flipping, but hurry up! All right. So while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, "Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Here's the first thing I want you to see. This man comes, he is covered in leprosy. Uh, leprosy was a skin disease. And from many of these types of skin diseases, different types of leprosy, it was a death sentence in those days. You got leprosy, eventually you died. And what happened was it would basically decay you while you were still alive until finally it got to a point where you died. And this is what's going on with this guy. He's covered with leprosy. He's not even supposed to be coming close to Jesus because it's contagious. He's supposed to stand away, live in a leper colony, not get close to any other people. In fact, if somebody started to come near them, they were supposed to yell out and tell them, basically, you know, leopard, don't come near me, stay away, so that no one else would get this. Isolated, seemingly forgotten, left for dead, literally, think about this, literally a dead man walking. The thing I want you to understand this morning is that apart from Jesus, apart from Christ, you and I are dead men walking. We are dead men and women walking without the Spirit of God in us. We have not come to life. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins. We're dead in our transgressions. Our sin has separated us from God. There is no life because we're not connected to the life giver. We may have breath in our lungs, but we're not really living. And just like this leper, we're dead people walking. And he comes and he falls on his face to the ground and begs Jesus. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And see, here's a misconception that many people have today, even in the church, even outside looking at the church, looking in. It's somehow we doubt Jesus' willingness to cleanse us, to forgive us. We think that we're so far gone that we can't come back that Jesus would never cleanse us. But look at what Jesus does. He takes this wretch of society, the one that nobody else would have been around, and Jesus doesn't go, hold on, okay, be clean. He doesn't just do that. Listen, what he does is he reaches down and touches this man. And according to Jewish law, if you touch a leper, you were made unclean just like that leper. But see, here's the difference. When Jesus touches the leper, the leper becomes clean. It's a big difference. See, Jesus touches the sinner, and the sinner becomes a saint. Jesus doesn't become a sinner. And we need to understand that, that Jesus' touch, his reach, his arm, is not too short to save the most outcast, the most forgotten, the most given up in society. It's not too short to save the one in here in this room right now who you feel like your time is gone, your time is past. There's no way God could love me. I don't love me. No one else will love me. I am pointless, worthless, damaged goods. And here's the truth of the matter. Jesus wouldn't have died for you if you were pointless, worthless, and damaged goods. Only he sees what's in you, not what's on the outside. And Jesus reaches down and touches him. And he touches the man and he says, I'm willing, be clean. And look at these next two words. He says, and immediately, immediately he became clean. It wasn't like, okay, now I'm I'm going to touch you and now in a couple of months you'll probably be better. Immediately he became clean. And it's the same way for us. The moment that we come to faith in Jesus the moment that we say yes, the moment that we realize that Jesus is reaching down and taking hold of us and that we finally just come to our senses and and, and we say yes to what he's offering, the moment that that happens, you need to understand this, that you are made clean. You may not feel clean. Your past may not tell you you're clean. Your fears for the future may make you feel unclean. But the truth of God, which trumps your feelings, is that you are clean. It is this. That your sin has been separated as far from you as the east is from the west. That your sin has been removed to you, and it's as though it's been thrown into the bottom of the sea, never to come back on you. Your past, present, and future sin were dealt with. And it's not just because Jesus is a good guy and because he can forgive sins, and so he said, I forgive you. You know what it is? It's because your sin was paid for. It's because Jesus, who lived a perfect life and never sinned, went to a cross that should have been for you and I. up on that cross, guess what? All of our nasty ugliness that we don't want anybody else to know about was placed on him. And that wasn't the only thing. It wasn't that just Jesus just felt icky because what happened next is God put all of his wrath on all of that sin for the entire world from the beginning in Adam until the end. All of the sin was on Jesus and all of God's wrath fell on Jesus and he took the punishment for the sin so that we don't have to. He was separated from God for the first time in eternity so that we don't have to be. So that now by faith, you know what we do? We say, Jesus, I accept what you did for me. Thank you, God. I see how good you are. I surrender my life to you. Obviously, you have a better plan for me than I could ever have for myself. Because no one would do that for someone that they don't love. And the price was paid. And Jesus breathed his last. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it wasn't finished because he was tired. It wasn't finished because he was dying. It was finished because it was completed. The sacrifice for sin was once and for all made and they took his dead body off of a cross and they put it into a tomb and they rolled it shut and they sealed it and three days later the tomb was rolled away or the stone was rolled away and because God accepted the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf he breathed his spirit into him the same spirit that is in you if you are a believer was breathed into the the spirit, the life of the body of Jesus and he came to life and he walked out triumphant three days after they put him in a tomb And the Bible says that he's the first fruits of those who would come after him. In other words, you and I, when we are in Christ, we have this promise that we don't have to see the world the way the world sees it. Because we've got a greater promise that tells us even when this fails, I'll rise again. It changes how we see, it changes how we think. And it changes how we live. that when circumstances aren't good, when people are coming against me, when death seems to be at my door or at a loved one's door, I know I know that it's not finished, because I'm in Christ. And eternal eternal life started for me a long time ago. As we get ready to close it out here, I know there are people in here who you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You can't say, I've gone from death to life. You know you have no relationship with God. But today I want you to understand that God's reaching out his hand. And maybe today you feel that stirring in your heart that says it's time for me to accept what God's done for me. And there can be a whole lot of things that's led up to this moment. But for some of you, you know, I don't have that relationship. I don't, have the peace of knowing that when this is over, it's not over. But today God's drawing you to Himself and you know that the love of God is being poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. And today is the day that you would say yes to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And you would go from spiritual death to spiritual life. To eternal life. So, for you, if you know that's where you are, that today is your day of salvation, say yes to Jesus for the first time. And let's do that together and celebrate it. We're a family, right? We're a family. So you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time today. That's what I want you to do. Don't you to stick your hand in the air with all the family looking. Amen. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Who else? If you, if you do raise your hand, we just want to pray with you real quick. Who else today? Look, it's time to join the family. It's time to say yes to Christ. Got another one here. Yes, ma'am. Do you mind walking with... Mr. Meats there. Left. Thank you. What's the Lord doing in your heart? If today's the day of salvation, then shoot, man, we already got two. Let's go for four, right? That's what God's doing. Well, for the rest of us, Here's a challenge that I want to give you. If you're in Christ, then I want you to live every day like your eternity depends on it. Sharing the gospel, loving people, living every day like your eternity depends on it, but remember it doesn't. I want you to live every day like this is all there is. And so I'm going for it. But remember that it isn't, that the best is yet to come. I want you to represent Jesus, and I challenge you to represent Jesus and share the gospel like everyone's eternity depends on it, because it does. And I would encourage you to live every day as though God were the main character of the story. Because he is. Jesus' message, the gospel, it'll be the center of our life when his life is the source of our hope. I want to encourage you to fight the fight of faith. To let the gospel go forward in all circumstances because we have a greater hope. I want to encourage you that when people come against you, let God even use those things to propel the gospel forward. And even in the midst of sorrow and death, we can rejoice because it's not the end. And the gospel still goes and Jesus still builds his church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. and your word it's truth I pray Lord that we would fight the fight of faith with all the grace and strength you give us Lord it is not easy at times but even with tear-stained faces or in times of elation I pray Lord that you would be glorified and magnified give us more grace that we would live lives worthy of the calling of Jesus I thank you for every person here Lord, I pray your love for them would sink deeply into their hearts and that their love for you would grow and know no bounds. In Jesus' name, amen.